This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There is a place for you here. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The first lesson comes from Isaiah chapter 65. For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it, or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days, or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth, and one who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build another inhabitant and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the works of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox, but the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on my holy mountain, says the Lord. Holy wisdom, holy word. The second lesson comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came from a human be- through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For, all, for as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Holy wisdom, holy word. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene, It was the first day of the week. Sunday. Early morning. Very early. Very early Sunday morning. And dark. Quiet dark. Still dark. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark and quiet, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb 
and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. The stone had been moved. The door of the tomb was gaping open. And the tomb had been disturbed. The stone had been rolled away. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. She ran down the path. She ran out of the garden. She ran into the city. She ran up the street. Until she came to the house where Peter and John were staying. She stood a moment to catch her breath. She caught her breath and then she said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. The body's been stolen. Who could have done this? It's gone. Where could it be? So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. They ran. They ran fast. They ran as fast as they could. And John outran Peter. John bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. He was cautious. He leaned into the tomb where the body had been. He peered through the darkness. But all he saw were the strips of linen wrappings lying there on the cold slab. The body was gone. But the wrappings were left where they had been. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. Pushed his way into the tomb. He burst into the tomb. No stopping him. Peter saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. Yes, the cloth that had been around Jesus' head. This This cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Folded up. Separate. Separate from the rest of the wrappings. It was neatly folded by itself. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They believed. Did they believe because the tomb was empty? No. Did they believe because of angels? No. Did they believe because of the grave wrappings? Yes. The position of the grave wrappings convinced them that this was no grave robbery. No hurried taking of the body for some unknown reason. The grave wrappings were intact. They were still coiled where the body had been. Peter believed. John believed. And they were amazed. Then the disciples went back to their home. But Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. She wept. She cried. She shed tears of grief. Tears of sorrow. Tears of unbelief. The tears flowed. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. One at the head, the other at the foot. The angels sat one at each end. The angels were all in white. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Why? Why are you crying? Why are you why crying? Why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away. She said. And I don't know where they've put him. They've stolen his body. They've hidden him from me. Someone has stolen his body. Someone has taken him away. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said. She supposed he was the gardener. She didn't recognize him at all. She didn't realize. Thinking he was the gardener, she said. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Tell me. Please tell me. And I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. 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 She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic. Rabboni. Which means teacher. Rabboni. Rabbi. Teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I am not yet returned to my father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. 
Then Mary Magdalene went to the disciples. Did she run this time? Did she walk? Did she hurry? Or did she take her time thinking over the wonder of this wonderful news? Then Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord, she said. Of all the disciples. Of all the male apostles. Of all his followers of note and renown. Mary Magdalene received the blessing. To be the very first. To say the words. I have seen him. I have seen Jesus. I I have have seen the Lord. Oh, we made it. This is Easter. Yay! I am so looking forward to a nap this afternoon. This celebration was the first Christian, the first Christian recognition, the first Christian exclamation, the first Christian confession. It started out with mass confusion. But it was this that set the stage for everything to come and for us to re-understand and reappropriate everything. And given that, it's it's, uh, it's a little surprising how close it came to not even happening. Because everything, well, first of all, I mean, it's, it's not an extraordinary story. It's the story of someone who comes and claims to be God. And God knows we've had too many of those and still have too many of those in our world. People who come and try to convince you that they are speaking for God, and if you want to know what God thinks, just ask them. Now granted, Jesus was a little more interesting than some because he defied a lot of social conventions. He flew in the face of the local authorities, and who doesn't love an underdog? Who doesn't love someone who stands up to the rich and the powerful? So maybe we were rooting for him a little bit more than some. But when it came right down to it, he died just like every other messianic claimant. He was buried just like every other one. He met the same fate that every last one of us meets. As far as I know, the mortality rate is still 100%. Except, on the third day, some women went looking for the dead. They went looking for the dead and found the stone rolled away. Now, mind you, it doesn't say they saw the stone rolled away, they fell down on their knees and they said, Christ is risen, hallelujah! It says they were completely flummoxed. 
Well, it doesn't say that. It says they were confused, they were frightened, and they ran back to tell the disciples. Except there again. We're told that they thought it was just an idle tale. You know women. I'm sure that's what all the male disciples were thinking. Except for one. It almost didn't go any further than that. Except for Peter. You remember Peter. Peter who gets the unfortunate distinction of having a starring role in Holy Week. Peter, the one who is known not so much for his bold affirmation of faith as for completely crumbling at the end. So much, though, that he crashed and burned in glorious fashion and denied that he even knew Jesus lies like a little child trying to get out of trouble. And when we last saw him, he was humiliated, crushed, despairing, and weeping in the dark. Peter jumps up and runs to the tomb. Why? Why is it Peter who jumps up and runs to the tomb? What is he looking for? Is he also going to look for a dead body? I mean, it's not hard to imagine the scene there at the, at the tomb when they arrive there. As someone who's very attention deficit, I am forever looking for my cup of coffee. Just take that and magnify it a million times. I mean, they get there and... Have you ever had that feeling where you know something and yet the evidence is not supporting it? Like you know there was a stoplight there, but there isn't, or you know. They get there and they know that Jesus was in that tomb. They saw him crucified. And there couldn't have been a whole lot of doubt that this guy was truly dead. I mean, in our society where death is, is cleaned up and gentrified so much, every now and then, you know, it takes a little while to catch on. But there was no doubting that this guy who had been nailed to a tree, who had had a spear thrust through his lungs, wasn't dead. And they knew that the tomb had been sealed. So where could the body have gone anyway? And so there they are wandering around wondering if, if could they possibly have come to the wrong tomb. Someone go ask the gardener, see if he knows what's going on. Shuffling around there in the graveyard. What was Peter looking for? It says that he looked into the tomb and he saw the grave clothes rolled up and set aside. And it says 
that he believed, but it doesn't say what he believed. Perhaps he believed that, well, you're right, there's no body. Maybe he finally believed the women. Or maybe he was just starting to believe something else that I think maybe gets at the heart of what belief is. He also didn't drop to his knees and exclaim, Jesus is risen, Alleluia! But I think he ran to the tomb because he, of all the disciples, desperately wanted it to be true. Desperately needed it to be true. If anybody needed to rewrite his story, it was Peter. And so, when something happens, when he hears something that so contravenes logic that it seems to knock the narrative of his and everyone else's story off the tracks, for him that is not a train wreck, it's redemption. And so he runs to the tomb to see for himself and the only thing he can see for certain right now is that Jesus isn't there. And for a moment, Peter balances on the cusp of that divide that we heard about in our second reading, described by Paul when he says, you know, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, then we are liars, we are fools, we are simpletons, and we are deserving of the world's pity because we just don't get it. We just cannot seem to accept the hard fact of life, which is that we are all dying and the world is, is gradually spinning down to entropy and nothing and If Christ indeed has been raised from the dead, then he is the first fruits of the resurrection. He is the first act in a new world. He is a revelation of the story to come. He is the rewriting of everything. And that's why Peter runs to the tomb. It's funny how those who first hear the gospel and first dare to start trying to believe this alternate narrative are those who need it the most. It's weeping Mary who first dares to believe that she's seeing Jesus. It is Peter who runs to the tomb, shattered by his own weakness. It'll be Thomas, 
who refuses to believe anything unless he himself can touch it, who will give such a moving confession of faith when Jesus stands right before him. All of them desperately need to hear this new story. Of course, Peter wasn't the only one who ran to the tomb. You're clever enough to have been listening to the gospel and realize that Peter wasn't alone. There was that, that other guy, the one who only gets described as the other disciple. And he shows up other places in John's gospel as well. It's that other disciple who we are told lets Peter into the courtyard of the high priest during Jesus' trial. It is that other disciple who is standing at the foot of the cross with the women and to whom Jesus entrusts their care. It is that other disciple who, after the resurrection, will yell out to shattered Peter, It is the Lord! And it is that other disciple who will finally reveal himself to be the writer of the Gospel of John, the one who is bearing witness to what is happening, the one who tells us this new narrative. And all of a sudden we find our place. We find the place where we can plug in to this Gospel. And here again, so many years after this, we, that other disciple, can come to the tomb once again, can rediscover for ourselves that the tomb is empty, can go out and reach out to those shattered souls like Peter and tell them the good news. We can once again bear witness no longer to something that happened over 2,000 years ago, but to something that is happening now. The rewriting of history, the rewriting of our narratives, the rewriting of the cosmos. Because with Peter, with the women, with this other disciple, we are the ones who are shuffling around in the graveyard and we know what it is to taste our mortality. We know what it is to know with a terrible certainty just how life turns out. But along with Peter and the rest of the disciples, I invite you to take that first little step of faith today and just simply need this good news. Because if you hear this as good news, then guess what? This story is yours. Amen.